this morning, we want, uh, we want to begin doing something corporately together in our worship services. And that is to join together as the people of God in a time of corporate prayer. Now you can do that right where you are. But I also want to make available to you, should you desire to come and join me here at the front, this altar. If there's something on your heart this morning you want to take to the Lord, or if you just want to pray this morning for God to do something very special in your life or in the life of someone you love. David did say, the Lord is to me what a shepherd is to his sheep. And if you know anything about that Old Testament imagery, you know what a tender picture that is. It's a picture of care. It's a picture of protection. It's a picture of love. And we want to come this morning before this God who is great and awesome and powerful, but who loves us enough that he sent his very son to die on Calvary's cross, that our sins might be forgiven and so that we might have a relationship with him. If you have a need this morning, or perhaps you just want to pray for God's spirit of revival to fall on our church and our community and our nation, we're going to pray together right now in these next few moments. And if you want to come and join me here at the front, I, enjoy, I invite you to do that for these next few moments as we, the people of God, pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning a grateful people, grateful for our salvation, grateful for our relationship with you made possible through the gift of your Son, Jesus, Grateful for every good and perfect gift that we enjoy day by day. Grateful for the freedom and the privilege to come and meet together before your throne of grace. We are a grateful people, but we are also a needy people. Needy because of our sin. Needy of a Savior. Needy of your power to enable us to live this life that you have called us to live, a life modeled after the life of your son, Jesus. But Father, we're also a bold people because you invite us to come before you, to bring our needs, to bring our requests, to bring the burdens of our heart, and we do that this morning. We do that individually, and we're grateful every time, every moment that we can pray 
in the solitude of our own heart, but we also come this morning as the body of Christ assembled here in this place because we believe there is power when God's people gather together in prayer. And we ask you, Lord, to do something significant in our midst today. We ask for your Holy Spirit to move up and down these aisles and these pews. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us this morning hearts that are open and receptive to hear your word, your message. Pray, Lord, you will do a great work here today of shaping us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray for the fires of spiritual revival and renewal to fall upon us, upon our church, upon our community upon our nation, and upon the nations. Father, we honor you this morning. We praise you. We thank you. We invite you now, not just into this place, but into our hearts. Do whatever it is you want to do today, Lord, and may the prayer of every single one of us here assembled today be, Lord, may it begin in me. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When when I was in Middle school, my parents made me take piano lessons because I had an aunt who was a piano teacher. That was something I really, really, really did not want to do. I wanted to uh, be out with my friends, riding my bicycle, playing football and baseball, But every blessed afternoon, for an hour and a half after school, I had to sit down at this piano and practice my scales. And I got to tell you, they went something like this. awful. I appealed to my parents every way I possibly could. I said, please don't make me do this. They always replied with the exact same word, practice. So, but I don't want to practice. Practice. But I hate playing the piano. Practice. But all my friends think I'm a sissy. Practice. And then, funny thing, one day, something really strange happened. And then a little later, something even stranger happened. I thought, you know, I kind of like this. 
hated playing the piano when I was just a kid my parents said you'd sure sound better if you practiced so I did I'll never be the next Beethoven I just hit the awkward keys mm. but I'm still practicing today to make my parents proud of me. Yeah, you know what made the difference? It's what always makes the difference. Practicing. Practice always makes the difference. Now, listen, I know that practice doesn't always make perfect. But I can promise you this, practice makes progress. And every single one of us here this morning who is a Christian, who claims to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, ought to be making progress in our Christian lives. We should not be at the same place we are today that we were a year ago or a month ago or a week ago. We should be growing in Christ-likeness. We should be consistently and constantly being shaped more and more into Christ's image. We should be pursuing holiness and righteousness. We should be victorious over temptation. We should be loving God more deeply, following Christ more closely, pursuing his will more passionately. But none of that just happens. It takes practice. It takes practice. And that is what the Apostle Paul is going to show us today in Philippians chapter 4 as we continue this series entitled Life Doesn't Have to Be Perfect to Be Wonderful. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, let me invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. I want to read the first five verses for you this morning. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I want to talk to you this morning about something called 
practicing the presence of Christ. Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. And if we're going to make progress in our Christian life, then we have got to learn how to practice the presence of Christ in our lives. So I want to jump right in this morning and begin with you by looking at this call to cultivate a consciousness of the presence of Christ. We read this just a moment ago, but if you look at verse 5, the last part of Philippians chapter 4, Paul makes a statement. He says, the Lord is near. Now that's the New American Standard Bible. If you're reading from the King James or perhaps from the English Standard Version, it reads, the Lord is at hand. Let me tell you what I believe Paul's talking about here. I believe he's talking about the nearness of the presence of Christ in the life of a believer. Now see, some might look at these, these words and think, well, you know, that's Paul is talking here when he says, the Lord is near or the Lord is at hand. Surely he's talking about the second coming of Christ. We see the Lord is near and we, we think, well, okay, he's saying the Lord is about to return. The Lord is about to come back to earth. He's ready. Now, let me say this. I believe that's true. I really do. I believe that's true. I just don't believe that's what Paul is talking about here in this verse. I believe he's talking about Christ's nearness, his intimate presence in the life of the believer. Paul is saying to us this morning that the Lord is as near to us as if he were standing at our right hand, right beside us. The psalmist said that. Psalm 121, verse 5, he said, the Lord is by your side. I think Paul's thinking is the same thing here. He is speaking of, of a consciousness of the presence of Christ. Now, I want you to remember where Paul was when he wrote these words. He was sitting in a Roman prison. He was manacled, chained to a Roman soldier. No doubt he was lonely. He probably hadn't seen his friends for, for more than a year and a half. We know he was cold. He wrote to Timothy and he said, please bring me my cloak. He was probably without a lot to do. He wrote and said, bring me my books. There he sat, shivering, manacled to a... Roman soldier, no doubt he was lonely. His friends had left him. His ministry had been taken from him. And yet he writes to these Philippians and he says to them, I want to tell you what is most real in my life right now. I want to tell you what's the most important thing right now. It's, it's, it's not that I'm sitting in a prison cell. It's not that I'm cold. It's not that I'm lonely. It's not that I might be about to die. Let me tell you what's real in my life. The Lord is near. The Lord is at my hand. Yes, I'm manacled. 
chained to this Roman soldier, but there is someone who is closer to me than this soldier I am chained to. Jesus Christ is by my side. The Lord is present with me. Is that powerful? Or is that powerful? Church, if we could just, if we could somehow just learn like Paul, how to stay aware of the presence of Christ all the time, it would change everything in our lives. It would revolutionize Christianity. It would change our families and our churches and our communities. Do you know that a consciousness of the presence of Christ has been the secret of all the great men and women of God throughout history? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the one who has been called the prince of preachers, the perhaps the greatest English-speaking Baptist preacher who ever lived, said one time late in his life, and I quote, I don't ever remember living a quarter of an hour that I did not have a consciousness of Jesus Christ, that I was not aware of the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't want anybody to raise your hand this morning, but how, honestly, how many of us could say something like that? If we were honest, a lot of us would have to say, you know, we get out of the bed first thing in the morning, and the thought of Jesus never enters our mind. We go and we eat breakfast, and we jump in our cars, and, and we rush off to this or to that, and we've never asked God for his blessings. We've never asked God for his guidance for the day. And so we get to work or we get to school or we get wherever it is we're going or we just, we just settle down at home and we get all immersed in the busyness of the day and we look at our watch and it's noon and we haven't even thought about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we press on and we go through the afternoon and, and uh, we, we, we we just do the stuff that we need to do, and, and we're all caught up in that. And again, we're not thinking about Christ, and, and we come to the end of the day, and suddenly we realize the day's gone, and we have not lived that day intimately aware of the presence of Christ with us every moment. And we wonder why we live defeated lives, and we wonder why we struggle in our Christian walk, and we wonder why the Christian life is not for us what it seems to be for Paul or some of these other folks that we read about in the New Testament or in Christian history. Well, God's Word tells us why. We will stay defeated. We will never experience the fullness of Christ in our lives until we are living daily with a consciousness of his presence. Oh, now, we know it doctrinally, and many of us could say with the psalmist, where can I go from your spirit, and where can I flee from your presence? But church, that is not enough. We, we can know it intellectually. 
We can have all the head knowledge about it, but if we do not practice the presence of Christ and know that he is with us to the point that we are experiencing his presence in our lives every moment, then all that knowledge we have up here won't do us one bit of good. Let me tell you something. I'm convinced. If we could bring ourselves to the point where we could cultivate a consciousness of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives every moment of every day, it would do some amazing things. We would see some wonderful and incredible things happen. And Paul tells us what some of those things are here. I want to look at them with you quickly this morning. Number one, Paul tells me that a consciousness of the presence of Christ in my life, number one, will make me a dependable and a faithful Christian. It's going to make us steadfast. It's going to make us responsible in our Christian lives. Look at what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. This is the International Standard Version translation. Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers whom I long for, my joy and my victor's crown, this is how you must stand firm in the Lord. Do you want to know why many times we don't stand firm in the Lord? Many times while we're not the faithful, dependable Christians that the Lord wants us to be? I'll tell you why. It's because we're not conscious of the presence of Christ. Let me tell you something. If a man was conscious of the presence of Christ, he'd have a hard time sleeping in on a rainy Sunday morning. Right? How how could somebody get up even on a rainy Sunday morning and then go sit back down in an easy chair and not come to church and know that the Lord Jesus Christ was right there beside him. I'm going to tell you, I'd have to come and worship the Lord. If a person was conscious of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you something, they'd be steadfast as a rock on their tithing and their giving to the Lord. They'd know that Jesus was watching to see how much or how little they gave, whether they were honoring the Lord or dishonoring the Lord in their financial support of his kingdom. I'll tell you something, if we were conscious of the presence of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we were out talking to somebody, we'd have a Mark New Testament. We'd have a gospel tractor. We'd have a testimony ready because we'd know Jesus was standing right there and we'd have to give witness. We couldn't let him down. We couldn't fail him. I tell you, if we were conscious of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'd watch a lot more closely some of the places we'd go. And we'd watch a lot more closely some of the things that we do and look at, and we'd be careful what we listen to, and we'd be careful about 
the junk that comes out of our mouths. And I could go on and on and on because this has tremendous application. Everything in your life and my life could become a steadfast, faithful Christian life if we really believed and experienced and lived in the reality of the presence of Christ with us every moment of every day. You want to be a steadfast, faithful, dependable Christian? You want to grow to that point? Learn to practice the presence of Christ. Ask God to make you aware of the fact that the Lord is near. He is right at your hand. Tell you a second thing that cultivating a consciousness of the presence of Christ would do. In my life, you ready for this one? Help me get along with other people. It would help me get along with other people. Verses 2 and 3. Paul says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, that's the New International Version. The New Living Translation, I like the way it translates the first part. Now, I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord... Settle your disagreements. Euodia and Syntyche were two women in the Philippian church. Now, could they just as easily have been two men? But it was two women in this case. They weren't getting along. They were fussing. They were arguing. They were squabbling. And it had spilled over into the church family. And it was causing problems. And People were starting to take sides. You know, you know this, is the, this is the only criticism, the only criticism that Paul levels at the Philippian church. And he says, you folks need to learn how to get along together over there. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. And you're fighting each other? You're mad at one another? You're not being nice? and gracious, and loving to one another? Paul says, fix it. Why? Because the Lord is near. Jesus is right by your side. You want to know how to get along with other people? Even people who might disagree with you about something? Well, you can get along with one another if you have the presence of Christ right here. Right here. If you know he's standing there, if you sense his presence, if he's walking beside you all the time, let me tell you, it's pretty impossible for me to fuss with you or have ill feelings about you or harbor bitterness toward you. If I'm aware of the fact that Jesus is right here, Let me tell you something. This, think of the implications. This is so practical. Think of the implications of this for your home life, for your marriage, for those relationships out in the community, at home and at school, 
Think about what it would do to the atmosphere in this church. Listen, I know about the fusses that have gone on in this place. A lot of you have told me about it. I'm going to share something with you. Somebody shared with me week four last when I was here. She said, Preacher, I thought you were going to talk about people being nice because I, I got to tell you, there have been some people who here, here who have not been very nice to me. And Jesus saw all that. He heard all that. We have got to learn to cultivate a consciousness of the presence of Jesus Christ because when we become aware of the fact that he is standing right beside us, he is near, he is by our side, it will help us get along with other people. It will help us love one another, be sensitive and courteous to one another, friendly, kind, complimentary, accommodating, forgiving, supportive, helpful, loving. Because I just don't believe you can fuss and argue and get mad and stomp your feet and put your fingers in your ears and all this other kind of stuff that goes on around sometimes in our churches. If you are really conscious of the presence of Christ standing right beside you, watching, listening in the midst of his people, The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. And when you become conscious of the presence of Christ in that way, it's going to help you in your relationships with other people. Now there's a third thing here, Paul says. A consciousness of the presence of Christ in my life will do something that's pretty incredible. It will bring genuine joy into my life. Verse 4, you know this, we've, we've referred to it many, many times throughout this letter. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again in case you didn't get it the first time, <laughs> rejoice. I hope you understand this morning that the normal Christian life is supposed to be a rejoicing life. 17 times in this little four-chapter book, that's about once every seven verses or so, Paul uses the word joy or rejoicing or one of its derivatives. And he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us that if we will learn to practice the presence of Christ, if we will learn to cultivate an awareness of the presence of Christ with us every moment of every day, we're going to have a rejoicing Spirit. Let me tell you this morning, if you're a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to be the most joy-filled person on the planet. You ought to have a smile on your face every time you walk in this door because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You're going to heaven for eternity. You have the promise of God's power at work in your life right here on earth. He says he's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose he's working out for you. You ought to be excited about that. Huh. Let me tell you, an old sourpuss, crotchety, cranky, bowed up, angry, bitter, 
perpetual frown on the face kind of Christian is a horrible testimony. Because it says that what God's Word has in here and what Jesus Christ did on the cross doesn't work. That's what it says. You know what will cure that in a heartbeat? A consciousness of the presence of Christ in your life. If you know that the Lord is near, my friend, if you know that He is standing right beside you, if your focus is on Him and what He's done for you, you're going to rejoice. You're going to have a rejoicing spirit in your home, in your place of business, in your community, and in your church. And this ought to be the most joy-filled location in the city of Greenville this morning. Right here, where we are. Even if you don't always agree with everything that goes on or every decision that's made, this ought to be the most joy-filled place on the planet this morning. Let me share one final thing with you here that's important because not only will a consciousness of the presence of Christ make you and me dependable, faithful Christians, not only will it help us learn how to get along with one another, not only will it bring genuine joy into our lives, but Paul says finally here, a consciousness of the presence of Christ will give me a submissive spirit. A submissive spirit. Verse 5, first part, Paul says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now the word we find here translated gentleness comes from a Greek word that whose idea is really just a little bit hard to convey. Different versions translate the word different ways. King James uses the word moderation. Other translations say sweet reasonableness or uh, being satisfied with, with who you are. Interestingly, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus uses this same word to describe himself when he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. If you look at the life of Christ, study it, you'll see that he was always gentle and kind and patient in his interactions with other people. And as Christians, we ought to be all of those things. But that's not really the basic meaning of this word. The, if, you, if you take this word and look at its etymology, what it, what it really means is to have a yielding and submissive spirit. If you want to see how that worked out in the life of Christ, just go back to chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, those verses we looked at several weeks ago which said that Jesus, though he was equal with God, did not consider his equality with God something to be held on to at all costs, but he humbled himself. He poured himself out, taking on human form and being found in human likeness. He, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus had a yielding, submissive spirit to the will of God. And I can promise you, if you will become conscious of the presence of Christ in your life, then you'll, you'll begin to, to demonstrate that same kind of submissiveness to the Father's will. But I can promise you this as well. You live your life day in and day out without a consciousness of the presence of Christ, 
You live your life day in and day out doing what you want to do, pursuing your goals, chasing after your preferences. You live without a consciousness of the presence of Christ in your life daily. I can promise you, you won't be following God's will for your life. You'll be following your own will or somebody else's. You make a decision without considering what Christ would do. You won't be following his direction for your life. You'll be following your own. So what God is looking for from you and me this morning is a submissive spirit that says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Not my desires, but your desires be fulfilled, God. Not my way, but your way be followed. The presence of Christ in your life is what will enable you to do that. And and really, it's what brings everything else together as well because you cannot be a steadfast Christian. You cannot have the kind of relationships you need to have with other people. And you can't have real joy in your heart until you have first yielded your spirit and submitted your will to the will of your Heavenly Father. Practice, practice, practice doesn't make perfect it does make progress and as the people of God each of us individually this morning and together corporately as the body of Christ at Taylor's First Baptist Church my prayer is that we are making progress in Christ's likeness in impact, in our community, in our nation, and among the nations, progress in becoming more and more what God has called us to be as a transformational people who go out to transform our world. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, We call upon your name this morning because there is no other way, there is no other avenue, there is no other option available to us to live the life and be the people you have called us to be apart from the very presence of the risen Christ at work in us through us, around us, every moment of every day. God, forgive us when when we live a half an hour without being aware of Christ's presence. Let alone for half a day or a day or the days between Sundays. Lord, we want to be steadfast and dependable. We want to know what it's like to stand firm in our faith. We want to demonstrate with one another what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the same family, getting along with one another. We want our lives to be characterized by joy And we want to be instantly and always obedient to your word and your will. 
having that submissive spirit, says, God, here am I. You take me. You do whatever it is you want to do in my life right now. Father, I pray for these moments of reflection and introspection and investigation. May your Holy Spirit shine brightly his searchlight into our hearts. And may we respond in a way today that would bring honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is present with us now, is our prayer in his name. Would you stand? We're going to sing together, and as we do, these altars are open if you need to come. If I can pray with you, for you, you need to unite with this church family, you need to embrace Christ for the first time as Lord and Savior of your life, this is your opportunity. The Lord is near. He is at hand. He is watching. He is waiting for you to respond right now as we sing. Lead us.